This is the 20th season of Bass Talk Live. BTL is presented by Bass Cat Boats, Strike King Lures, Aftco, Pro Guide Batteries, Shoreline Boat and RV Repair, Spro, Gamakatsu, Big Bite Baits, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, Beatdown Outdoors, and Sunline. BTL, coming at you. Good afternoon, and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing. A little special edition show today, returning to uh, BTL. Took a little hiatus there, but he is back, bigger than ever, about to kick off his debut on the Bass Pro Tour, and that is none other than the one and only Matt Steffen, who... uh, What's a what's a weather up there like, Matt? We haven't started off a good BTL in a couple of years with a solid weather discussion. Well, Matt, the weather up here is the weather. That's a a famous quote from one of my favorite movies. It is terrible, dude. It's uh, we're about zero right now. Yeah. We got about a foot and a half of snow. We went from like New Year's, we had no snow on the ground, and it was still like forty degrees to absolutely miserable. It's it's almost unbearable right now. Are you uh, are you excited to take a break in a couple of weeks from your job as a full time uh, podcast guest and then actually get on the water and do a little bit of fishing, kind of pick up a part time job there? <laughs> yeah, I get I get to start my uh, full time truck driver, part time fisherman career, dude. Uh, <clears throat> man, I you know we 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 chatted for about two seconds before we got on and I feel so behind right now. I mean, I, I'm trying, you try to get caught up with everything, but you know, just from the, like when you switch gears into the tournament perspective, right. You got to get all your tackle ready. I'm still, I don't have my boat yet. Like that's getting wrapped right now. You don't have your boat yet. Your season starts in like 15 days. No, dude, I don't. I, the boat, actually the boat, uh has been here for some quite some time but all of the stuff to rig on the boat took a little longer the the wrap is taking longer than expected it's just one of those every year it's this way every year you run into the 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 rat race of just trying to get everything ready to go but this year for me it's a little bit even more hectic because i'm trying to i'm you know i'm trying to get caught up on youtube stuff Mm -hmm. trying to get caught up on core tackle stuff like you know, there's just a lot more in the works this year and it's, uh, a little, it's going to be a little bit different because it's the, the Bass Pro Tour events are a lot longer. So that just means you got to be that much more ahead before you leave. But I, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I really want to get on the water and, and get fishing again. Cause it's been, you know, several months before, uh, yeah, it's been probably about almost three months since I'll, I'll be in a boat fishing, but, uh, yeah, I just feel real, real behind. What? Uh, okay, we we talked to a bunch of we talked to a lot of uh, friends, fellow anglers who do this stuff for a living. Like, do you think that's like universal? Or I like I was mentioned to you in the two minutes beforehand. And like I said, be, bear with us, guys. I have a I don't know what it's called a transformer or whatever on my cable that they're coming out to fix. If you've been following the saga of my uh, internet service, we do have good audio, but I'll just kind of go in and out. That'll be fixed by next week. They're coming out to p- 
put a brand new one on. There's a very nice gentleman in a boom truck who explained it all to me. And it was like, he was speaking a foreign language, but he, I got the sense that he knew what he was talking about and knew how to rectify the situation. Just not immediately when he was out yesterday. Anyway. So we talked to a bunch of different guys. Do you get the sense? Like who has their stuff together going into the year? Are there guys that actually are like tackles ready Boats rigged, deals are done, life's in order, hope life's in good, finances, everything is ready to go and focus on fishing? Or do you think this is universal at the start of a fishing season where everybody shows up in some form of disarray? Yeah, I think for them, there's a lot of running around by most people. I do, I do get the sense that a lot of the younger guys that don't have families that are kind of traveling from one place to another, like they're, they seem to be more on top of it just because they kind of live out of their truck and boat as is. So it's like, they've been, they've had their new boat. Even if it's only been a few weeks, they've been fishing in it for, you know, two weeks. And like, in my case, I'm going to pick the boat up and I'm going to start practice with zero time on my boat. So I got to like do the boat break in at the same time. And that's what every year, that's what basically what I do. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a few guys, but I feel like the more you, I don't know, grow older, you tend to, uh, take on a few more things and you've got family requirements. It's just harder to, to put all the time necessary to get everything ready to roll. But no, I would bet you 95% of the guys feel pretty similar to how you and I feel at this point. I would also venture to say that over the last three years preparing for a year has gotten a lot more difficult than it did back in the quote old day with the social media and the many different avenues that you have to do to make a living in this. It used to be, you get your boat, you have it rigged, you have your sponsor line up. And the biggest thing you had to do was make sure that the patches were on your Jersey. And then you show up to the tournament over the last three years. I feel like the demands on professional anglers have grown so much that there's so much more to take care of to, for lack of a better term, keep up with the Joneses to make sure that you have, like you mentioned, your videos, your podcasts, your tackle company, all of this stuff that is kind of new to the industry as a standard and not just an outlier to do what you do for a living. Yeah. You, you, you got to start looking at ways to make it happen while you're on the road too you know like i know you've started doing some kind of live podcasts from like the houses that you're staying in you you got to come up with ways to continue to move forward while you're on the road because you can't just turn off for two weeks at this point um <clears throat> you know like i i i plan to film videos while i'm on the road i'm planning to do all do all kinds of stuff i mean i gotta tell you last year you know I, I you fish all day and i'd get off the water and i mean i was on the computer till well basically as late as i could go but i'd start falling asleep while i'm writing emails right like it just is that hectic on the on the road and it's just something that I, at this point i feel like you got to put up with to continue to move forward but um yeah it's no longer like you can just kind of take a take a picture of a product and throw it up on instagram and kind of fulfill your your requirements you know if you're looking at doing videos or doing podcasts uh and kind of keeping 
like in my case with YouTube, I'm always trying to feed my algorithm. You know, when I do a daily video, if I if I don't do a daily video, I feel like YouTube puts me in purgatory, right? They kind of punish me for a little bit. So I try to film a bunch of videos before I leave so I can release those and not have to worry about them while I'm on the road. But there's there's still a lot of effort that goes into trying to create content and just kind of keep the businesses moving forward. So how were you able to finish in the top five in the MLF Invitationals last year, make the Bass Pro Tour, and get off the water and fall asleep on your computer every night working on emails? Because that'd be a pretty easy excuse to say, hey, I got too many irons in the fire. What What is your secret to being able to juggle and manage so many things and perform on the water? Whether it's at a professional level or a club guy who's like, man, I can't get out and practice or a BFL guy. Because I think it's very easy, me included, to use that as an excuse. And you just proved this past year, dude, you can do everything and still catch their ass. <laughs> Dude, I, I wish I had the answer for you. Like, I, it still kind of amazes me when I think about the the effort I was putting into everything else outside of the fishing. But I, I the only thing I, I keep coming back with is it just made me fish a lot freer on the water. Meaning, like, I, I wasn't, I didn't do nearly as much uh, map study. I didn't do nearly as much research. I did very, very little of any sort of research for any of the lakes. I just kind of showed up, go fish. You figure it out while you're there. And if you're able to do that, you're fishing in the moment, as they say. And from that standpoint, you're you're probably in a much better position. I, you know, having said that, I do feel like I do feel like it's also potentially a recipe for disaster if you completely yeah. miss the boat. But you know, I. I, the, the more I do this, the, the less I put into that pre-tournament research, you know, I don't, I don't ever go to the lakes and pre-practice. So I used to put a lot of time in to counter that on the computer, trying to find as much information and data and watching as many videos as I could. And I just, I just don't, yeah, I barely do a fraction of it anymore. And I feel like the less I do, the results tend to get better um so yeah i you know I, I don't have the answer for you i'm i'm really happy how it worked out the the other thing i will say and maybe matt you you feel the same way but i do feel like the more i do within the sport whether i'm in a boat fishing or doing a podcast or doing a video the more i do the more it continues to just submerse me in the in the sport as a whole and you're mm -hmm. continuously learning you're continuously finding new things that you can apply to your fishing. And I just think that that makes you a better fisherman. Whereas like, you know, my first few years on tour, when I was working a corporate job, it was like, I completely turned fishing off and went and did the job. And then it was like, you go to a tournament, you got to completely turn it back on. I don't ever turn it off at this point. Like it's in some form or fashion, it's fishing related. And I do feel like that makes you a better angler, even though you may not be on the water in the act of fishing that's fair it is kind of the opposite of what you just said based on what we saw all nine of the guys who qualified for the elite series do which the majority of those guys pre-practiced every single one lived at the one before it went off limits until the next one like i mean they dove in like there was like no tomorrow when it came to it but that leads me to this question do you feel like there is a right way to prepare for the season or is this a conversation that has no correct answer because every situation and every person is different 
I mean, I, I think fishing is that way. Everyone's got their own strengths, their own ways to go about it. And what works for me may very much not work for somebody else. You know, I would to go back to your comment about the guys qualifying for the elite series. I don't know that there's a substitute for experience on the water. I mean, the more you can do it, obviously that's probably your best route to being at the top of your game. But I, I do think that as long as you're involved with the fishing industry, that still counts towards something. All right, the stage one of the MLF Bass Pro Tour 2024 edition, the B&W Trailer Hitches Stage 1 on Toledo Bend kicks off on January 30th. It is now 12.14 p.m. Central Time on January 20, uh, 17th. January 17th, not much time before the debut. Uh, overall feelings, excited, nervous, jitters. Talk about uh, your expectations heading into the first leg of this journey and new chapter in your career. I'm excited to get it rolling. I'm I'm excited to see where, like, I want to see where it pans out. Because I really do feel like if you're an angler that can, in two years, make that top 50, you could be in a very, very good place. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited just to see like where the year, year pans out and to get it rolling, to get back on the water. You know, I, I'm looking at it going, if I can, if I can win Toledo Bend, I'll go back to back wins because the last tournament I fished was the Mississippi river. So it's, it's been a while for me and I, you know, I'm excited to get rolling. I'm not, I'm not nervous by any means. I mean, that's something that, you know, I, I haven't had really nerves. It's, it's excitement to go into tournaments, but it's not nerves to go into the tournaments. Uh, Santee Cooper, Dale hollow, Lake Eufaula in Oklahoma, Kissimmee Chain, the Choan River, the James River, and the St. Lawrence. Seems like you have experience on about half of those, and about half of them are going to yeah. be wild cards. Fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, they're all, they all tend to be wild cards. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right. I think half the lakes I haven't been to. Toledo Bend I've never been to. Dale Hollow, uh, I've never fished the tournament there. Uh, Sandy Cooper, never been to. Choan River, never been to. So there definitely is going to be some uh some tournaments that could go either way now i will say i feel like a lot of those kind of set up good for me like i do like the power power fishing shallow uh oh i think we might have just lost uh matt his connection was on a fish cat oh he's back sorry i lost but yours yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think the schedule allows an angler to probably pursue the the type of fishing that they want to pursue. And for me, I'm, I'm just going to go and show up and try to make it happen. Okay. So this is a question that I have asked you this off air and I believe a lot of viewers and listeners have run into this situation. They have a tournament. It's on a body of water they've never been to. It's a body of water that they know a buddy who's ripped off a lower unit, who's mangled a prop, who's gotten stuck out there for 12 hours. You're going to these fisheries, uh, Santee Cooper, great example, <laughs> with, no. with little previous history on it. Talk about how you get on that water and break it down and be able to fish and run with confidence on a fishery like that, that quite frankly, is an intimidating body of water to get on. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you could get out 
before the tournament practice starts, that would be a good way to break down some of those lakes just from a getting around. But we don't have that. We're just jump. We're just jumping yeah. into it. Like you're at two and a half days of practice, and then you're day one BPT. I mean, go catch them. The, the the honest answer, I might not be the best one to ask this about because if you if you were to ask a lot of other guys on tour, they might tell you that I like to run around in areas I'm not running around in. Really, you're one of those guys. Them. If you can't see it, it's not there. Uh, I'm not like <laughs> might not be a like, little Biffle Street in you. Yeah, might not be full Tommy Biffle, but uh, yeah, I I'm more of one that I just get so impatient idling, and I I tend to like to trim it up, jack plate all the way up, nice slow cruising speed, and see where I see where I get to. I mean, I've gotten myself into some trouble before. It I will say. Like running around on something like the Mississippi River, I feel much more confident doing that because you're generally talking about shallow sandbars. Like you can you you can get off of it. I'm much more nervous doing that on places like Toledo Bend or Sandy Cooper, where you're talking about flooded forests under the water. But you know, having said that, I still am one that. I tend to idle into an area and then be like, there is no way I'm spending a half hour to idle out of here. And I just kind of try to follow my tracks on the way out. If I didn't hit anything coming in. What's the biggest pickle you've been in practice wise, where you just went, damn, I really wish I could have the last 15 minutes of life decisions back, man. I got it. Uh, probably the worst one was on the red river. This was years ago, 10, probably 10 years ago, I was in some backwater pool. I don't remember the name of it, but it was, I had to take a long kind of Creek to get back in there, get in there. And then I'm like in an oxbow Lake and I was in probably 10 foot of water and it was solid trees everywhere, like cut off right at the water. And I fished it almost like, I won't say it was dark, but I mean, the sun had set and I had probably a half hour to like get back to where I needed to go. And I, I was idling out of there and I idled up on top of one of those trees and got completely stuck. Like I could not power off this tree. I mean, I, it took me 15 minutes of like on the big motor, like spinning in circles to try to get off of this thing. And I thought like, I had actually got off the motor, sat there and thought to myself, like, well, I still have some light. I need to figure out like if I'm sleeping here tonight, because I really thought that that was going to happen. And that, like, the Red River is one of those places that I do not want to be spending any time outside if I don't need to. I mean, the gators and snakes out yeah. there, like, that's, like, my worst nightmare. So I, I ended up really just giving the motor everything it had, and I finally... Like, wide open, stuck on a stump, trimmed all the way yeah. down. Yeah, like, I, it was, it's still mind-blowing to me how how much throttle I had to give to get off of that tree. I did some then, pretty good, I did some pretty good damage actually to the bottom of the boat that year or that that day. And then it just slid off or it didn't like it didn't jolt you forward when it came off? Well, I think you know, I don't know for sure, but when I came off, I think I think there was a piece of rebar stuck in the top of the uh Oh yeah, that'll do it. And like the rebar basically went into the bottom of the boat because when i got off i mean i had i had a big not a hole in the boat but i had a big circular area within a drag mark of fiberglass that was just of the uh gel coat that was just completely 
you have to get a whole new bottom or they just fix it? I had a lot of money I put into fixing it. I don't recall what it was, but it was, I dude, when I got back, I was just happy to get back at that point. Like I was, I was like, I'll, I'll pay the money to fix it. But that was the worst one I've had. I mean, I've been, I've had some sandbars where, you know, you're, you're in half inch deep water and stuff like that, but I've been able to, to get off of all that stuff. All right. Is there a trick to pushing your boat on the shallow sandbars? Cause I've had a couple of those where I thought like you get out and you start pushing and it does not move, but then you watch all the videos and it, you always see the video like Pipkins was pre-practicing for something. He's like, Oh, guess I'm having to get out in the white. He's like pushing his boat across this. And I'm like, either I'm extremely weak or these guys know a trick on how to get these dang boats to push off of sandbars because I've seen way too many guys make it look flawless. And whenever I push, I just get a hernia. That's <laughs> the truth. It's not, you shouldn't push. You, you do the rock and push. You got to rock it back and forth and then the boat will actually create like a divot and then you can push it forward a little bit and then you rock it side to side. So, you know, hopefully you only got to go 15, 20 feet, but I did have to do that one time for probably a hundred yards. I mean, it took me like four, four hours probably to get out of that. It was, that was bad. Have you ever done the run into a dead end and literally have no way to turn around? On pad? Or, or like, even with the trolling motor, like exploring, like where you just end up and you're like, boy. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it could happens, open up happens. back here. Yeah, that, that happens all the time. Because that is one thing that I like to do is, you know, use the aerial photos to try to find some some areas that maybe other people aren't getting into. And the majority of those times they're complete disasters. Yeah. So like, how do you like judge whether you're going to do all. it? Especially if you haven't practiced on these things and you only have two and a half days, how do you know whether you're about to find the mother load of tournament winning bass or whether you're about to be stuck for six hours and now have half a day of practice and possibly molested by wildlife? I, I, I generally give at least a half day to doing off the wall stuff. Okay. Like I, like I, that is kind of a, a practice rule for me. And it was one thing a couple of years ago and we only had two practice days. It was something I really didn't like, but if I've got three practice days, I generally commit a half day at least to like some off the wall thing that for whatever reason, I've got this itch to go do. And a lot of times I'll do it. I'll do it on the first day of practice too, just to get it out of my head what percentage of the time would you say that pays off and then you're like holy cow i'm fishing my tournament here and what percent is it a total wash i mean i i would say it pays off probably 10 percent of the time but when it what like once a year it, yeah it's and it's generally either uh complete bust or something that's pretty good i got you have you found that there's a particular type of fishery or a particular part of the country where this works better in like, Hey, I've found some really good stuff exploring TVA lakes or natural lakes or Southern lakes. I would, I would say it's a more of a river thing generally. Like, okay. like I've had, I've had a pan out at the Potomac river. I've had a pan out on the Mississippi river. I've had a pan, uh, pan out. Uh, I'm trying to think what, I mean, the Red River, actually, I found a really good, I like, I've had it pan out where on the Red River, I had a really good spot. It turned out in the tournament, I couldn't get back to it, though, because the water dropped. Like, I've had stuff like that, but I mean, it was, 
it definitely is something that's out there to be had. I feel like it's just you, you it takes a certain type of fishery a lot of times to have that kind of that hidden gem. You know what I mean? Like if you go to a a fishery say like Grand Lake, I mean that's all it's all kind of exposed at that point anyways and it's not like there's a lot of stuff you can just kind of get out of the way and not have other people fishing but I think it's worthwhile doing it because like I said, when it happens, it generally is something that uh, is good enough in its own right to at least have a good tournament. But it's also something that sometimes opens up that can of worms where you can you can find other things that relate to that and it puts together a real good tournament. I'm intrigued by this because this is something that I struggle with on the water, you know, practicing for the opens like. You, you don't know, you don't try some crazy stuff like you don't ever get in a I've, bad rut where you're just like man I like you know what everyone else is doing and you're like there's got to be something else going down kind of but I'm a a risk guy to where I'm like am I willing for this to be my last move of the day <laughs> does that make sense like what do I think is going to be more productive yeah, through, I mean, I, looking at three I or four it. different things, or spending, committing all this time to get back in there, and then possibly doing damage to the boat, getting stuck, not being able to get back out, and then let's say I do catch him in there, but not great, but not bad. Do I even want to know what's in what's in this stuff that it takes forever to get to? Because if at eleven o'clock my A, B, and C stuff isn't working, am I then going to go burn forty percent of my day trying to get back into it because yeah. I had a couple bites? So I'd almost rather not know what's there because the percentage of it being a tournament winning spot that no one else has found with guys like Keith Pochet and John Cox and stuff in the field is minuscule in my opinion but that's why i'm asking you these questions too because i feel like there's some potential room for angler growth in this area i think i think it has more to do with trying just to do things that are not the norm like like if you go to a place um like give me give me a lake we're i I don't i don't want to talk about a lake i mean you are you watts bar watts bar i went to watts bar there was a lot of weird stuff you could you could look at at watts bar that i didn't what yeah watts bar setup where you could almost do anything couldn't you like, yeah but there there's all sorts of everything. like little creeks and rivers and you can go way up stuff on one end or you can kind of stay yeah. down and fish the main lake there's like big no eye wake zones i mean there's some stuff you can get so yeah on a, on a lake like that you you have the ability to go look for your strengths meaning if if you're mm-hmm. a guy that likes to go up rivers you can go do that if you want to fish deep brush piles you can do it but there are a lot of lakes you go to that there's a very defined pattern that everyone is going to be doing. Like, you know, let's say you go to a, let's say Champlain, right? Like Champlain, okay. everyone's out there looking for smallmouth. There's, there's a very good population of shallow rogue smallmouth that are roaming by themselves or in small wolf packs. And generally speaking, like they're going to be using the same area on a pretty consistent basis. So if you like for me, I'll go to Champlain and I'll commit some time on Champlain to to either like just looking for smallmouth with my eyes where I got the troll motor on high, or I'll be actually fishing, say, a topwater bait and just trying to get some uh some recognition from the fish. But like it's not a it's not a traditional pattern there, but it is something that you could have to yourself. 
and you just got to go do it. Like mo most lakes will have the patterns that everyone, the majority of the field is fishing, but there's always going to be some ability to go look for something completely different that other guys aren't doing. And that's what I like to do. You know, it's not necessarily always just like off the beaten path. I just like to try some things that I know are not getting the same amount of pressure. And a lot of times it doesn't pan off, but if, if you do figure something out, you generally have it to yourself. The higher and higher levels that you have fished and the more you've been around this game though, have you found that they're the off the wall stuff is no longer off the wall because the guys who are at the top of their game are at the top of the game because they came up in the sport doing off the wall stuff. So now you have a bunch of guys who do off the wall stuff, which in return ends up being the same stuff. Yeah. I, I think the higher you go, the less there tends to be unturned, right? Like okay. there's, yeah, well, the, it, you get to the point where everyone at that level is like a, they specialize in a handful of things, but they can do everything, right? And from that standpoint, it's like, man, you can go look for this other stuff, but you you tend to run into the other guys that really like to do that same thing. And, you know, a lot of times it's more a matter of the lakes just being big enough to handle that number of guys, uh, which is one of the things I'm really excited about with the BPT. Like, you know, I'll be fishing against 40 guys in my group. Yeah. That, yeah. that I, I'm expecting to be able to kind of go wherever I want and not have not have that many people bumping boats with. And me. and don't you have a runtime to get to your spot in the morning from like where you take off? Isn't it like a 15 or 20 minute runtime or something yeah. like that to where if you need to get into somewhere, you can get into it. So even if it takes you half an hour, you're only spending 15 minutes of fishing time. And then if you're way back in this thing and you you're you're day ends at three, you don't have to worry about leaving at one thirty to make sure you get back in time because it's just lines out. So really this yeah. could allow you to be a fish a lot more free and explore a lot more than you had been able to with the blast off in the check-in. Yeah, it's some I've I've really thought about that quite a bit with Toledo Bend and Sandy Cooper where you know I I know when I'm out of the boat lanes I'm probably not going to be running at least at a high speed by any means. And from that standpoint, it's like, okay, well, if I have 30 minutes to get to my spot and, you know, I can idle in there, even, even if it takes me an hour and I'm only giving up really a half hour of fishing time to get there, but I feel like it's an area once I get to, I can fish all day. And then I don't have to worry about coming out because I can fish the lines out. So from that standpoint, it is, it is something I've thought quite a bit about. And I, for me, I like it. And I think that's something that'll, uh, it, it gives, I don't want to say an advantage, but it takes away a little bit of the advantage for guys that went to say Sandy Cooper to figure out how to run around. You know, mm -hmm. that's, I don't have to worry quite a, quite as quite a bit. I don't have to worry as much as I would normally in a situation. I think we've exhausted this topic. Yeah. I want to hear about last night. What did, tell me how last night went. I wore a cowboy hat in public for the first time in 39 years, Matt. Do you have pictures? Uh, it is on my uh, Instagram story currently. What? What? I'm gonna say it was a black one. Was it black? It was black felt because you you know you, you can't wear like the straw or the that in the winter time. So it was like a black felt one. Mm. Be beaver beaver pelt cowboy so hat. It, it was a rodeo. No, so it was uh so there's a uh BTL uh 
Mike McAuliffe is from Fort Worth and he's like heavily involved in the Fort Worth stock show and rodeo. He owns several restaurants down for he's super good dude. Uh, and I don't know him that well, but uh, he's buddies with uh, Chris Zaldane. And it, this thing lasts, it's like a 26 day rodeo, 23 day rodeo. So they have like different, different events every single night sometimes just rodeo sometimes it but this was called bulls night out so it was the bull riding exclusion so there were 40 bull riders and then they got the top the top bull riders to move on and then it's also tonight too so uh we had like he my cook is we went to his restaurant so you want to talk about uh logistics so he has multiple restaurants across the fort worth area and uh this one was called uh rita restaurant and it's like authentic texas cuisine so it's kind of like steak and potatoes but also with like a little mexican twist to it i guess is i probably butchered that but that's the best way to describe it and they basically do a pop-up restaurant by dickie's arena in like a ballroom so they like move the chefs everything and it's the exact same menu that they have at the fine dining restaurant they just move it there for 23 days during the fall so we went had a great dinner steak and shrimp and then went and watched the watch the bulls on bulls night out with uh where, with chris and trait is that where you got the jowls from no uh i just i'm a big breakfast guy so yeah i was eating some I, I i drove back this morning which is why we have a noon show and uh i've i've been really looking to up my bacon game and <laughs> uh i'm also big into watching uh, survival there's some survival channels on youtube where a guy will, like go out for like four days in alaska and do like hot tent camping where he like sets up you know the stove and everything and like t- camps when it's nine is 20 and one of the dudes is a big fan of uh hog jowl for his morning bacon instead of just standard bacon so i saw it at the store the other day so i picked up some hog jowl you just thin slice it and cook it like bacon it's probably not healthy at all does it taste like bacon yeah, it's got a definitely a different taste to it. Like if you're going to go spend a long, hard day like on the water or chopping wood or doing something manly outside where you need the energy, if you're going to sit on the couch, I feel like it really really hits you right in the midsection and sticks. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's not something you want to eat every day. But get you a hunk of hog chow, just thin slice think, it, and then replace your bacon. I don't think we can buy that up by me. 100% you can buy hog jowl. You're in Wisconsin. You do cheese curds. I guarantee we, you, we do, you probably we do. have stores that only sell hog jowl. We do. We have stores that only sell bacon. And there's no hog jowl. There's some sort of hog jowl in, in that bacon store. I promise you. It's very, it's, it's, uh, it's very like common. I'll I'll ask around, especially amongst the look. Steve is saying smoked hog jowl is awesome. That's what I had. They're wanting uh, Bridgeford to come out with some hog jowl, some hot, some hot jowl (laughs) jerky. I'll I'll let them I'll let them know we need some of that. Woodsman's Woodsman's has hog jowl. Really? Yeah. What is Woodsman's? It's a giant grocery store. So, but no, it was it was awesome. So uh, there were probably. 80% 80% of the people, this is like legit Texas rodeo stuff, uh, Western scene. So, you know, probably 80% of the people had, had a cowboy hat on some, some form of headwear in, in a cowboy hat fashion. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. So big shout out to Mike. He's 
running around for the next 20 days doing the same thing every single day. It's got to be like Groundhog Day for him. But he's like not fun, exactly dude. sure what he does, but uh, he like basically runs runs a lot of it and then has the restaurants and stuff. So, yeah, Outdoor Boys. That's it. Oh, I love those guys. Yeah, well, that's the dude who, who does some. He always has the glasses that fog yeah. up. Yeah, so I'm actually a little disappointed because he, he moved up. Didn't he move to Alaska now? Like he has he I found him because of his YouTube channel, Carp and Catfish. Yep. so he. And my two boys love that, love his channel because he has, well, young kids or kids that are about the same age as my kids. So we, we watch quite a bit, but he doesn't do anything with carp and catfish anymore. Yeah. See, I skip any of the ones with the kids in it and just do the ones where he does the solo camping or just a different outdoor. Yeah. I, I prefer, I prefer his other channel versus the, uh, freezing cold solo camping in Alaska every episode now, but. Yeah, but he That's does like good. different different stuff. There it is, right there. Winter survival yeah. camping with a four year old. That's smart. Uh, he, he crushes it. He gave up his. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. I can't think of his name. Camping uh, under the snow, three days in the Arctic. Like the I like the where he does the stuff where it's like negative twenty and he builds the shelters. He gave up his job as an attorney out in Virginia to do to do full time YouTubing. So he, in some way, you relate to him because you gave up a full-time corporate job in Chicago to chase the fishing dream. I mean, sure. I, I relate to him because his content is entertaining. I enjoy it very much. Ooh, Steve suggests that I roast the hog jowl. Hmm. Roasted hog jowl sounds good. I've only just been searing it. I'm going to stick yeah. with the bait. No, so I, I I like I really I don't know how did we even get on the outdoor boy stuff. You mentioned a uh, oh watch no with- he did hog jowl in one of his for for his hearty breakfast because he always does something that's just a little extra for breakfast like he'll be out surviving and then he'll be like and here's some bread or here's some bread pudding or something stupid that he brought from home. He's and he brought he's actually, hog jowl. Yeah, he's actually the one that got me uh, into sous vide. Have you ever used a sous vide? Oh, don't even get me started on that. How do you pronounce it? Sous vide? Yeah. Okay, yes. That you, is you're a, you're a fan or not a fan? A hundred percent I'm a fan. That's the only way to go now, it's especially if you're fishing. Yeah. yeah, dude. I saw him. He he did a prime rib roast. Uh I'm trying to remember, like in a cooler outside with like boiling water that he you know used a, a, a fire pit to do and I watched it and I was like, what is he doing? And then I started looking into it and I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I went and bought a, a Nova sous vide and uh, that's the only way to cook meat now. Oh, I'm going to go back to this. This comment tickled my funny bone. <laughs> said, that dude eats way too much curry out there. I'd be digging. <laughs> 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 The only reason that that gets me is because I've thought that exact same thing. I'd be like, man, it's negative 20 out and you just ate 43 ounces of curry. Yeah. And you're in a a small hot tent. I mean, it keeps it warm. I'm 12 12 years old. Sometimes I apologize for that, Matt, that you had to. (laughs) You should make some of that curried hog jowl. Uh, No, the CV. So my buddy, Darren. 
taught me how to tournament fish when I was 13 years old. And he was like, Hey, we'll take this ADHD kid. He can fish with me for the year and I'll put up with the six tackle boxes. And, uh, but I'm still, you know, really good buddies with him. And he co-angled, he was a co-angler with me on the, I think he finished top 10 in the co-angler for the central division this past year. But, uh, he did a prime rib and then we left at six in the morning. He had all the prime rib vacuum pack, put it in the sous vide for 12 hours. And when we got back in, pulled it out, had an internal temperature of, you know, 120, Perfect. 105, whatever you wanted it to be. Cause he, yeah. we did it rare, medium rare. And then just, and it was, it was absolutely insane. So I was like, I'm getting one. So then I got one for Christmas. My girlfriend got me one for Christmas and we have now uh sous vide. Cause you can also like infuse a bunch of stuff into it. So you yeah. can put garlic butter, all sorts of stuff. I would highly recommend it's the best hundred bucks you'll ever spend. You, you wouldn't know it. Most of the top steak restaurants in the country, that's how, that's how they cook them. They have them because you can you can leave, you know, if you want to have 100 tenderloins at medium rare, you cook them all together in the sous vide and then you pluck one out when you need it. And then you slap yep. it on the grill, get it at sear and it's perfect every time. And that's how most of the top steak restaurants do it. And dude, I, I love it. it like I my grill has basically turned into just an ornament on my deck. At this so point. you just sous vide everything. I sue dude sous vide chicken. You can sous vide pretty any all. But I mean, you don't just, like the grilling crust that it can get, like the no, flavor so, of the grill. What I what I like if I'm making a steak, I tend I'll sous vide it. I'll take it out and then I'll take Raw. a hot cast iron pan and put some garlic butter in there and then I'll sear it to finish it. But you're not really cooking the meat at that point. Yeah, but you're adding flavor to it. So you don't you don't yeah. smoke it and then sous vide it. No, because I, I think I, that I, that's the wrong. stand. Like that's the way to do it is you smoke it either. Cold, so I'm trying to get into cold smoking too, because yeah. uh, Jeremy Lawyer does some mean cold smoking on on some cheese, which that'll do a number on you too. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you, you eat a block of cold smoked cheese, it'll make you regret some decisions. <laughs> But uh, he did cold smoking, which his is like legit cold smoking. But I got another buddy who just does it in like a plastic bag uh, or just the pellet grill, which obviously is old hat by now for everyone. Everyone knows how to use the pellet grill. But you you smoke it, then you sous vide it, then you flash sear it. And I mean, it's a day and a half process. But by the time yeah. you're done, I mean, that's that's the ultimate cut of meat. Am I wrong on that setup? I, I mean, I don't use the smoker aspect, but I like a a prime rib cut was is always like one of the most intimidating things for me to cook. Hundred percent. And with the sous vide, you you cannot make it go wrong. You can leave it in there, you know, way longer than even suggested, and you'll never raise the temperature past what the water is. I mean, and and I'll tell you, I don't know if you do this, but it's a really good thing. Uh, like you were saying before for tournaments. I mean, I've I've over the last couple of years, I've probably made four or five prime ribs on tour. You know, you start it in the morning, go practice all day. You come home and it's ready to roll. Like it's, I mean, it's ready to roll. All right. We're going to run an ad for some new AFCO boots and some other ads. And then when we come back, uh, we'll get back to talking about fishing. Sound like a plan. Yeah, let's do it. All right. BTL on a Wednesday, Matt, Stefan noon edition. We'll be back right after this. The nooner. 
any water. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance. The Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush. I'm the kind of guy that never leaves a house without a pocket knife, and Gamagatsu's come out with the EDC series of knives. EDC stands for everyday carry, so whether you're on the water or off, you can always have it with you. The best thing about it to me is that assisted open feature. With this D2 blade, you've got it right here at your fingertips, so if you can't find your scissors, you need to cut a knot, you need to cut your braid, you've always got it. Make sure you check it out. Never leave home without your Gamagatsu EDC knife. Born in Japan, using technology, innovation, and precision, Sunline produces the widest selection of fishing lines at the most technologically advanced line factory in the world. Manufactured at the strictest tolerances to produce victories at the highest levels of tournament bass fishing. From household names like Christie, Swindle, and Cruz, to young guns like Cook, Logan, New, and Welcher, they all trust Sunline to take them to the top of the leaderboard. Choose the line that will give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Sunline. Shoreline Boat and RV, dock rash, storm damage, collision repair, that deep scratch or gouge from trying to access that secret creek. Shoreline Boat and RV can get your prize possession back in mint condition and looking good on the water, fast. All repairs are done in-house, so they're able to get your boat or RV back to brand new, quickly. All Shoreline's work comes with a rock-solid warranty. Find out more at ShorelineBoatAndRV.com, Kansas City, Austin, and Tulsa. Bass Talk Live, uh, Matt Steffen returning to BTL. So I went to the fridge during the break and I got the hog jowl. <laughs> what? I really did. I, You've I never see. seen it, right? No, I've well, I've never had a, a hog jowl. So it's located below the uh, below and across the pig's chin. So you can see it's like smoked there. But then when you get into the actual jowl, it's more of a bacony. Really would you bright. rather would you rather eat that or eat bacon? Uh hell hell I don't think either of them are really healthy. Hog jowl, you don't want to eat it in like large quantities. It's very rich, very fatty. We're gonna have to take another break quickly so the hog jowl doesn't doesn't spoil. I'll put it back in the fridge. That's, there's a lot of quality hog jowl there, but uh I just wanted to let you see what it was so the next time you know I'm sure your favorite grocery store carries hog jowl. I don't know, dude. I've never seen it. I we've got we've got a bacon place up here called Nuskies. They uh you can go there and buy five pound bags of it. It's kind of like world renowned bacon. So I'm kind of a bacon snob at this point. Really, like I also uh we can't go a show without talking about the gas stations. I have a Christmas present for you. Then you know we talked about how uh I can't ever get my stuff together. Yeah, it's it's been sitting in my kitchen in the corner relegated to the corner with a note on it that says send to Stephens. <laughs> and it's it literally a- for your wife, for your kids, for you. It's a fantastic Christmas present that I might 
I don't know. I'm not even going to say when I'm going to get it in the mail. I, I need to just go and send it. it some some of your uh, Bucky's hog jaw, smoked hog jaw. I, I can't tell you what it is, but it has to do with Bucky's. Yes. I saw I saw a good meme. I feel like I should throw this in. I saw a good meme the other day that Quick Trip put up, and I think it was uh, it was the Cowboys logo, and they indicated that the Cowboys logo is the number of star rankings for the team being that it's just a one star team. Yeah. That was not a good, good week for them. That was like going out on Falcon and catching zero bass. <laughs> that That's what that yeah. game would be like or Champlain, I guess now. Yeah. They, they got to the boat ramp and forgot to put their plug in. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, this was not intentional, but over the last week or so I've had a lot of, core tackle references. So I had Johnny on last week talking about some of the latest additions to the uh, deep dive app. And then I had uh, Brian from Bastrix on yesterday, which was actually a two months in the making. And then it ended up just being yesterday's show, which I really enjoyed hearing kind of the second or what is it? Not a, not, is that a Renaissance or what is it when they like have a good, like a cut, good comeback story? What's the word for that? Comeback. It's not like a renaissance. I feel like a renaissance fair is when everyone dresses up like they're in the Middle Ages and they're like, ah. I, I don't a know. A rebirth? Something like that. Anyway, the regenerate, like the comeback, the comeback of Bastrix. And he mentioned that the core tackle hover rig, he mentioned that they're best selling Bastrix. And then, unbeknownst to me, you post a video about it yesterday, right after the BTL episode drops. I don't, unless that was. <laughs> Was that intentional? No, that was probably uh, probably booked two weeks ago. I'm about two weeks ahead on videos right now. Okay, so yeah, re- the rebirth of Bastrix. So it's here's the top baits, and it's the hover rig inside of the Bastrix bait that he said is their number one seller that is no longer the paddle tail. So you got a lot going on with Core Tackle these days, and you're a owner of it with Johnny. Are we assuming that um, we're going to see a Matt Stefan Bridgeford slash core tackle wrap on the BPT this year when it is finally unveiled? Uh, it will be a, yeah, it'll be a Bridgeford wrap. It'll be pretty much what I've, what I've had in the past. I will have a core tackle logo on it, but it's not going to be anything, anything giant by any, any means. It's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Like I, I have uh I go back and forth on the whole like promotion of core tackle. Like I absolutely love it. It's, it's my baby, but I also am very uh, cautious to not like over promote too. Cause I feel like, I feel like I could sit here and just promote, 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 and it would kind of take away from it as well. So I, I like, we've been very fortunate with core tackle right now to have, uh, like originally it was the marketing all came from Johnny and I, and, and w- the baits are working so well for other individuals and paired with other baits that we're getting a lot of co-marketing, which has been very, very good for us. Uh, and like with respect to Bastrix, I mean, the products that they have pair so well with our products, it's been a natural fit. And like the flash tricks matched up with the hover rig is un- an unbelievable pairing. I mean, I've been, smashing the fish in my neck of the woods here using that and uh 
Yeah. And Bastrix has been a great partner. I mean, in terms of like working back and forth, you know, they've done a lot of marketing with, with their products, with our products. And, uh, you know, we've kind of do the same, none of which has been planned by any means. It's just kind of a, you know, a, a matter of us both doing marketing and because the baits fit so well together, we, we keep using them. Here it is right here. I will, uh, screen on this there it is right there that's that's you uh live watching yourself talk about that's that bait right there so that's what brian was saying is their best seller now over at bass tricks which is called the flash tricks with the little core tackle hover hover rig in it and it does it fits it absolutely perfectly see how i put my hand behind the hog jowl just like you did with the flash tricks (laughs) to make the the bacon really pop yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm going to go buy some bait, some hog jowl now. You sold it with that. Yeah, you're, absolutely. New sponsor for BTO. Uh, do you think Core Tackle would have been as successful as it is now if it wasn't for the forward-facing craze of the last, and I'm going to say, two years? I know it's been around a yeah, lot longer, but where it's been <clears throat> balls to the wall, I mean, I, gung-ho, I mean, yeah, it seems Sorry. to have really benefited from it. Time timing was about as perfect, I think, as we could have gotten. And it was 100% unintentional. I mean, it was just, we, we were working on the products for a period of time. And while that's happening, forward-facing sonar has come. The, the funny thing is, like, most people, probably, I don't know about most people, but a lot of people would attribute the core tackle products to being really geared towards forward-facing sonar. I... I I don't use them that much with forward-facing sonar. Like I, I use the hover rig, which was made for hover strolling, which is a phenomenal uh, forward-facing sonar technique. I actually use the hover rig much more like a Ned rig. You know, I, I like to let it go all the way to the bottom. I kind of pop it off the bottom. And from that standpoint, I don't fish it the way a lot of other people fish it. And because I don't fish it in a manner that's necessarily uh just don't use oh Oh, you're back okay okay you're back now uh i said i asked that and like i said we could uh talk about core tackle for the next five hours but i asked that to lead to this question did you go to the berkeley symposium deal that was yeah that there was just last week so berkeley had this big meeting of the minds where they unveiled a lot of new baits that are coming out and a lot of the key baits like the credge which is jerk backwards and a number of others really seem to 100 percent be targeted towards the forward facing now i'm not getting into the debate about yeah. the forward facing this is just what we're doing with this because i remember on this show and on a number of other shows was all this hey the tackle industry is really taking a hit here. The hard baits are sitting on the shelves, the crank baits, the square bills, the spinner baits, because everybody's using forward faces. Sonar, these companies are going to go under. It was the same thing uh, in a sense that I believe had a big portion in 2012 and 13 to get in the Alabama rig banned on a lot of the national trails because of the rapid drop in jerk bait and cold water, other cold water application bait sales. And they're like, hey, I think there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that went into that that this bait is so effective 
what I thought was interesting was we're seeing all these companies that we thought, oh my gosh, this is their bread and butter. They're reinventing themselves and they're coming out with these new wild baits for forward facing sonar and evolving with the times. Is that the feeling you got attending this thing at Berkeley and seeing all these new kind of oddball off the wall baits come out like, hey, we're just going to see a ton of new baits from a ton of new companies that we've never even imagined flood the market, come onto the market and be introduced in the next six months to a year. Yeah, I do. I definitely think it's the, the trend. I don't know that we're going to have like tons and tons of baits that flood the market. You know, it, it tends to take a lot longer than one would think. I think to take an idea, get it fully tested, you know, have the prototypes made, put it into production and get them into stores. So I think over the next couple of years, we're definitely going to see a lot of baits coming out, but I don't, I don't think we're going to have a period where it's just all of a sudden like there's a hundred new baits overnight. But having said that, I mean, I, I do think these companies are recognizing that there are opportunities to develop baits geared around forward facing sonar. And in Berkeley's case, you know, the idea isn't necessarily to create baits to try to show up better on the screen uh, or allow an angler to track their baits better. Berkeley's approach is much more about how, how do you create a bait that will help you catch the fish that you're seeing on the screen? So like if you, with see the, him, you catch him, Matt, you should know that. I It's so easy, dude. It's so easy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, like the credge is a good example. You know, one thing that ice fishermen have seen for quite some time is as you drop down and you, you do this, like with your flashers in the old days, and now ice fishermen are using the forward facing sonar, but you keep your bait above the fish and generally you slowly rise it and the fish will continue to follow it up and, and eventually bite the bait with a lot of traditional baits that we have when you're fishing using forward facing sonar the way the bait acts it's not necessarily what you want it to do meaning if you were to throw a jerk bait out if the jerk bait's running at the same level of the, as the fish it's hard to get the jerk bait then above the fish right the jerk bait naturally wants to dive down so the idea that berkeley's going after is how do we create baits that will allow us then to fish for those fish in a manner that uh, is different than a lot of traditional baits. Meaning you throw a crankbait out there, the crankbait's just going to want to dive. So in this case, like that's the, the cool thing with respect to the credge is that the credge actually wants to rise on the retrieve. So it's a sinking bait, but it wants to rise. So if you're, you can, you can get to the level where the fish is at and then continue to entice them closer to the surface. And one thing with respect to bass a lot of times the bass want to push the bait to the surface and won't bite until the bait's near the surface. So the bass actually thinks it's pinning it on the surface. So a lot of people, uh, like with respect to the credge, a lot of people have had really good success working it similar to a jerk bait down lower in the water column. And if they can't get a fish to commit that way, they'll actually tease them to the surface and get the fish to hit it almost like it's a topwater bait. And then what was the other one that was like a banana shape with the hook hanger on the top? <laughs> yeah, there's there's the finish the finisher, which is this one. This is the so the credge is cool. I like I think the I've had good luck with the credge. The the finisher is, in my opinion, like this is the like the cream of the crop 
in terms of how this thing moves. I mean, it's a, it's a heavily weighted bait, but it, it slashes and darts under the water with very little rod movement uh, at a faster and more extreme rate than I've ever seen out of another bait. And it's that quick movement, in my opinion, that generates strikes from, from fish. It's, it's, it's really a very unique, cool bait. Did they have any other weird stuff? Well, the, the other one they, they talked about was the power switch, which is That's been just a molded Demiki rig. Yeah. It, well, it's, it's, <laughs> is it's it been, not? It's well, no, I would disagree with that. And the reason for that, it's a molded plastic. Uh, the reason I would disagree with it is the power switch has motion very similar to that finisher. It's almost like a soft plastic motion. So if you twitch it, that bait, I mean, it zigzags at extreme rates, whereas you can't really get that out of a traditional Demiki rig bait. I'm trying to get, go through my phone and find it. I took a screenshot of it. It was one of the Japanese... Uh, Oh, oh! I'll, I'll play that for the fans. That's what the hog jowls look like. <laughs> look at that. And uh, I can't. So, you know how you see all the guys who are good at it, and they're like, "Oh, you got to get the, you got to get the deal right with your rod," and you're not holding it, and they're like strolling it and shaking it. There was actually a video online on YouTube. I took a screenshot. I'll never be able to find it now. But it actually made sense to me for the first time ever as that bait was that plastic bait was on the bottom. And when they did it, he got it to like flash yep. side to side. Have you seen that? Yeah. Uh, well, I know what you're talking about. I don't know if I've yeah, seen that I didn't either. understand. I just thought it's down there like like you're just giving it like shaking baby syndrome. But like the way <laughs> they get this right, like the the little soft plastic is actually like swimming side to side and i'm like okay that makes total sense as to why they're going like that with their rod they're getting in a rhythm almost like walking a spook on top except you're vertical or slightly vertical and horizontal and i need to find that and show that on the show because it blew yeah. my mind how uh it blew my mind at how effective it looked it's uh it, it's interesting you say that because that was something that that one of the cool things about the the Berkeley bait release event down in uh, Houston was that they gave us a ton of background on like the science that they do and and a lot of the different things that they found that triggers fish to bite. One of one of the cool takeaways was the when they were talking about color, like the contrasting color and the movement of baits that when you get that side to side roll, like you're talking about, you get that contrast from color as well. And, and based on one of like, one of the things Berkeley was talking about was uh, how much better that is in generating bites than not having that, that contrast, that movement. Yeah. I know that's what hover stroll it is. I'm just saying that I live in this industry and I fish a Demiki rig and I've never actually understood what the hell it looked like down there when you were actually properly hover strolling. And this blew my mind when I actually saw underwater the slow motion of the bait as you hover strolled flashing. And like you said, with the color, with the change, it looked very enticing. Yes, it is. It is a very enticing, good technique. You You need to do more of it. I know you just made the BPT doing it. 
Well, I, I, I did some of it. It wasn't the only thing I did. I, I, we need to go fishing, Maddie. We've never been fishing. No, I know. We need to do more of it. I also need to jump in the boat with Johnny. Have you fished with Johnny? I, yeah, we should go next. I'll see him next week. We should go next week, all three of us. Where are you going to be, in Arkansas? Uh, I'll be stopping on my way down to Toledo Bend. Do you drive past here? Uh, I mean, I'll be driving somewhat close. I think I go okay. down. What's that road that goes through uh, Lake you Ufala? Uh, 40. Sounds right, yeah. Yeah, so you will be literally 0.7 miles from my house. If you yeah, need a place sounds- to stay, you can crash here. I got the guest bedroom. I'll die. You got hog jowls. Yeah, we can have (laughs) we can have a hearty hog jowl breakfast. Do a quick BTL and talk about strolling. I I think that sounds like a plan. We could we could shoot from the water. Do you have good cell service on a on a lake down there? We could do a live. We have very good cell service. There's about an inch and a half of ice right now, but hopefully it'll be gone by then. Oh, you actually have ice on the water? Oh, big time! Like everything's frozen solid. No kidding. It's been like wow. seven degrees the last couple of days. Maybe I won't be fishing next week with Johnny. But who knows? Uh, let's take a final break of the show and we come back. We'll wrap things up with Matt Stefan, BTL on a Wednesday. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. Get the best patterns back by tournament data. Start by finding the best 10% of your lake. Know exactly what to look for and what to throw. After that, you just put them in the boat. Try the deep dive app today. Look at that beast right there. Having confidence in your tackle while on the water is one of the main things to success in my opinion. In the last couple of years with Denali, I've had just that. From anything from spinning rods, casting rods, tungsten products, even now to casting and spinning reels, I have the confidence to go out there and get the job done and know that all my equipment is going to handle it and do it just the way I want it. The thing about Denali is you've got great quality products at a great price point, so make sure you check them out. Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable, versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting beatdownoutdoors.com. All right, we're back wrapping things up on a Wednesday. Thank you for joining us for a noon, a noon edition. Are you Central Time or are you Eastern Time? We're Central. Okay. I, you just you just had the ad for that Beatdown Outdoors graph yeah. or the yeah. stand, the tower. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the ultimate, you, uh, the ultimate shorty, single. There you are. You're back. Yeah. The, uh, do you have that in your boat? Yeah, absolutely. I've had it in my boat. This is going on three years. Really? Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Do you ever yeah. have any issues 
like hitting that like on the cast i would uh, think i would hit zero that thing because no no time. no because here's the deal uh it uh, let's see if i can pull up a picture you can run it just like a normal graph on the ground if you want to you only pull it up so it comes up to like my chest it's like 36 inches and i've got oh. a double stack i've got a 10 inch garmin and a 12 inch hds live but the only time i run it high is when i'm crappie fishing and obviously you don't run the boat it just takes two seconds so then yeah. there's like an, a, a pole that you can screw on so you just screw that off you just take the pole off and then it can only come up like eight to 12 inches which actually gets everything off of the deck then to where you have more room under your feet and then when you're scoping and stuff it's now a foot and a half closer to you so it's not outlandishly high do, do you have a you got everything mounted already uh i've got yes i've got pretty much everything mounted i got a few gotta, things left that i got to do once i get the boat back from the rap guy but yeah all right it's that's like the next power pole dude like everyone's gonna have those things well i, I mean in the this commercial, year there's a bunch of guys who have a bunch more of them too it looked pretty good in the commercial like it, it is cool. absolutely rock solid so i've ran it in on thousand islands i've ran it all over i mean i ran it on toledo ben i've not had a i mean it is rock solid and then it takes so full disclosure it takes probably two trips two times out on the water to understand to where you can do it like without even thinking about it but that's with anything right yeah and then you know if i'm running i don't want to put extra stress on the on the bow of the boat the fiberglass so i just drop it all the way down and it just runs like a regular graph then when i get to my spot i literally pull a ball out, make one twist, pull it up, lock it in place. And now it's a foot and a half higher. Cool. And then if it's calm, I'll run it, I'll run it like that. And then if it's not, if it's rough, I'll drop it down each time I start. But yeah, I would, it would be difficult for me to run a boat without a beat down on it now after having had it for three years. And then, like I said, this probably isn't what they want me to say, but while I'm scoping for crappie in the wintertime, what? <laughs> oh, I'll I'll do it so I've got the 10 inch Garmin like this and then I'll turn my 12 inch Lowrance into a uh into a small table to where I can then place my beverage of choice on. Oh, so I now no longer have to even look down. I have my scope right here, my 14 foot crappie rod and a little table stand for a, you know, ham sandwich and a <laughs> cold ice cold coke. They should just make one with a cup holder. Yeah, uh, I think you can. Uh, not the way. And then Pete points out that I only fish with spinning poles, so I don't have to worry about hitting the mount anyway. But no, I have fished with it completely up to, and it's shocking how it does not get in your way. I, I thought the exact same thing. I was like, I've stubbed my toe on it getting out of the boat one time, and I thought I lost my little toe. But other than that, <laughs> I've not had it. I, I thought the little toe might still be in the boat. That's how I that's how I lost my big toenail that I turned into a crankbait lip. Stubbing it on the graph getting mm. out of the boat. Are you running are you are you running crappie breaks? Yes. I'm running you, uh, you are. power breaks. Wow. Power breaks. Whatever they're I, called. I was supposed to get them installed yesterday or Monday, but it was too cold. Have you used them yet? I have not used them yet. I'm looking forward to getting on the water and using them. There's going to be yeah. a bunch of guys with power breaks, crappie breaks. There's going to be a bunch of guys. Yeah. 
It's not, I'm hearing stories that guys are just going to be ridiculous this year. Like I'm not, I'm not really doing anything different from last year, but if, if I've talked to some guys that are running like seven graphs and they have, they, that's just over the top. Yeah. If you guys have any questions, you good for like 10 minutes of just random questions. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just chat. We'll finish it. That's been a good, it's been a while since you've had a good Q and a session here on BTL. That's what Jeffries used to always do when he didn't plan a show. He'd just be like, Q&A today. And I'd be what like, what are we talking about? And he's like, whatever the fans want to talk about. Yeah. Well, you were out late last night. I was out late last night. I was playing what poker. What were you doing? I was playing poker. House game or casino? No, it was a house game. Did you win? Just, we have like a quarterly, a bunch of guys get together. Um, four. That's four times a year? That would be four times a year. Yeah. No, we you should we at least either. do bi monthly. Well, I would like to, I would play I love poker, but the uh it's just hard to do, like, especially with the season. I mean, I'm they play more without mm -hmm. me probably than I play, but yeah. So I was out. What was the buy-in? <laughs> we we don't uh do anything, it's not a high roller thing. It was twenty bucks a hand or twenty bucks a buy. No, Did no you rebuy? rebuy. No. So wait, they, twenty bucks and then you're out. Yeah, we're not there to take. It's just a bunch of buddies getting together to drink. How many guys? How many guys? Uh, well, there were seven last night, but sometimes it's we'll have a couple tables going. You split the pot or winner take all? Do you always play it out to the death? No, it's generally first and second get paid out. Oh, so you even pay second out on a forty dollar? Yeah. Come on, dude, you got to bump that up to like five hundo. Think about the. Think about the I, adrenaline rush when you know that you could you could pay for an entire BPT entry just with a couple good decisions in your friendly game of poker. Dude, I am a professional gambler in right like that's what bass fishing is. So from that standpoint, like I'm not afraid I'm not afraid to play for higher stakes. It's just it's just buddies getting together playing. Yeah, but wouldn't you like, rather take 480 additional dollars of your buddy's money? Well, I yes, and they they could afford to lose the money too. So it would be all right, but it's, it's just an excuse to get out. Look at uh, you. Just because we're gambling doesn't mean we got to take each other's money, man. It's just more fun. You know who the best guy to play professional angler to play a house game of poker with He cannot turn down a house game of poker regardless. He'll do it for 50 cents. He'll do it for a hundred bucks. And he's been like that Ooh. since I've known him. Carries a poker chip set with him everywhere. Really? Yes. Yeah. Guess. Uh, Mike McClellan. Uh, I, I was going to say one of the guys out in your area. Mike McClellan, huh? Huge. Yeah. Loves the house game of poker. Like if you're like, if we do a media event, if we're at a tournament, we'll play like he doesn't play crazy either, but just very passionate about his, his poker game. Good well, job, just to, too. Just to be clear, I will play crazy. Like, I, I'm not afraid to put the money down. I'm just saying last night's game was just a fun game. Are you a guy who, if you have a premium hand, do you like to lead strong or do you like to see a flop before you get pot committed? Uh, I generally prefer to limp in and then see see where it goes. Like, I yeah, I would I would much rather get to see what the cards are and and uh try to milk other players for as much as I can.
So you're a slow player. You like to hope someone like you've got a full house and you're hoping they've got yeah. two pair or something like that. And they think they're trapping you, but in reality they're drawn dead. Pretty much so. Yeah. I like it. All right. We got some questions now. Pokers. When you play with anglers, you will find in my experience over the years, anglers play poker the same way they fish. Like the guys who take risks and throw big swim baits will go all in pre-flop. The guys who are very consistent and cash checks will always limp. They get. Have you noticed that? Uh, you like, know, think I have about your buddies who you who you yeah. play poker with who also fish. Their fishing style is very parallel to their poker playing strategy. I I would I would tend to agree with that. Yes. Okay. Uh, on to questions. Jim would like to know what the Bears should do with their first round draft pick. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> What? I didn't. I didn't close it I, out. I just said I, questions, Matt. Yeah. No. I well. I like it. Non-fishing. That's a. Uh, if I were in the Bears' position, I would keep Justin Fields, and then I would. I would try to build a team around him. I think he's pretty decent. I think the rest of the team is not real decent. Okay. This has been talked about. Specific. What specific braid do you use for your hover rig? Uh, I. So I use a Berkeley X9 10 pound test high vis to a six, eight, or 10 pound Berkeley 100% fluorocarbon leader that's generally going to be 15 to 20 feet long. Edward that- would like to know uh, how do you recommend attaching the finisher to the line? Direct tie, loop, not split ring. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of a good question. So, I, you know, in my, use of it i have tied directly to the the uh line tie on the top but it does like it doesn't come with a split ring or anything so i i don't know necessarily if there's something to that i need to play around more with trying say a loop knot or attaching a split ring or a a uh, clip to it but my success with just tying direct to it has been very very good another question from bass fanatic sinking type braid i don't know if that's really a question i guess you just would like your do you ever use the braid that sinks i know there's a couple different types out there that sink not really uh do you ever have issues with breaking off your loop knot well i'm not i'm not a big loop knot user i uh i would rather use a clip that's a no um did you see Milliken's new video on his boat? No. What did he do? Move the trolling motor back. Put three graphs up front. Put the power brakes on. He's got all, he's got it all. What do you mean he moved? He moved the trolling motor back. Yeah. Like so in order to fit like the twelves and sixteens up front, they unmounted the trolling motor and then moved it back onto the frame of the bass cat. Wow. Okay. Uh, here's another one on that. Do you know someone named Michael Weiss? <laughs> yeah, I'm a uh, Mike. Mike is a good buddy of mine. Uh, yes, I would consider myself a better fisherman. He's a better dresser. You know, Matt, you would like Mike Weiss because he uh, he just got me all into the Western wear. So we went. He and his wife and uh, my wife Sarah and I just went down to Miami, uh, Florida. To do- 
Yeah, we went down there. We went bone fishing with a, a good buddy of mine for a day. And one of the things we did down there, Mike wanted to go to, there's a big Western store. Okay. So we, we went to a Western store and I, I was very impressed with the clothing, the clothing choices, especially the jeans, you know, being a taller guy, it's hard to find jeans that fit me from a link standpoint, but. Oh, they, yeah. You can't have high waters in the Western world. Yeah. So that's like, I, I came out of there down several, several hundred dollars in uh, Wranglers and what are they cinch cinch jeans bought me a yeah a, a george Strait wrangler button down yeah get out of town yeah dude i i could fit so right now you have to does, does sarah know how to starch a good pair of jeans no she's i don't know that she's ever done that are i don't know familiar? that i want to i don't really want to starch them i just yeah you do like if you buy wranglers you got to starch them I mean, these, they're not, they're not like real, they're really soft. I don't really want to make them hard. They're fantastic. I love them. Are you wearing them now? No, I'd show you. I looked down to see if I was, but no. I'm not. <laughs> see, there's the, there's the cowboy hat. Oh, look at you. You look good. Dapper Dan right there. Yeah. How about that? That's a one. That's probably see, could, a one and done. Maybe you could invite me sometime to go to the rodeo with you now that I have the clothing to pull it yeah, off. Yeah. Uh, I would, I, I could say with confidence, the majority of my rodeo days are well in the past, Mister Stefan. Mm. Uh, oh, Miles would like to know: Do you hover rig the wing dams on the Mississippi? Yes. Would you care to elaborate on that? <laughs> yeah, no. I, the uh, the hover rig is fantastic for wing dams and sand drops and current seams because the bait is so light that you can throw it upstream, let the current present it naturally up over the wing dam, and then the bait will flutter down into the backside, and it, it is a deadly, deadly pattern. I did a video on fishing uh, current seams with it, which are it's pretty similar to fishing wing dams. I love it. I love it for that. If you could only use one technique or bait this entire year, what would it be? Oh man. Uh, ooh. I mean, I have to look at the schedule, but I mean, if it, it would, it would be hard for me not to pick the hover rig because of how versatile it is, but I, I really like to throw swim jigs too. So like I could see doing that those w's crisp i don't know i'll have to i'll have to tell sarah i'll have to see if she can starch them for me it's a process what do you I do, you, do you, actually, do you actually like put something on them starch like you sprinkle starch on it and then you iron them. okay so i'm not an expert on this uh courtney starched my jeans very nicely i might add and it was a multiple starching get process. Get her. Get her. Is she there? She can come in and tell us how no, to do she's it. She's not there. She's down in, in uh, Fort Worth. So it's a spray starch, but there's different levels of spray starch. And then you starch them and iron them. You have to get the creases absolutely perfect. It's I, I could never do it. It's like how you hold the jean to get it right. And then there are certain guys who have them starched to where their jeans stand up on their own without them in it. That's how starched they are. Like on two feet, like they would just you. Could... Oh, Jeff could Jeff on the instant feedback could could probably write a, a better explanation of the proper starching process. Like I didn't want to over starch them. I still wanted to be. I didn't want any uh, chafing. 
so to speak. I was going to say, wouldn't that like, I don't understand the idea of starching. Like, what are you looking for at that point? A crisp, nice look to the gene. Hmm. I don't know if there's any actual tangible benefits to starching maybe, the gene. Maybe I'll, I'll try to starch them for the, uh, what's the red crest ball that you like to bring up all the time? The thunderbolt ball. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, maybe I'll do it for the Thunderbolt ball. Oh, you need if you do that for the Thunderbolt ball, if you could go with some starched, some heavily starched Wranglers and then throw a bolo tie in. What's a bolo tie? That's the thing with the, the cowboy thing. necktie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got some good belt buckles, actually. I've got a I've got some old like Bassmaster belt buckles. I've got a Skeeter belt buckle that He'll be back here in a Good second. Uh, I lost you on the Skeeter belt buckle. You kind of froze there for a oh. second. What was that yeah, about your yeah. Skeeter belt buckle? I was just saying I've got a real old one with the old Skeeter logo, and it's uh it's just a good classic belt buckle. It would look good with some starch jeans. <laughs> Mine's in the truck, so the belt buckle I wore last night was a 33rd anniversary edition Zebco 33 belt buckle. Oh, solid. And it's so, got a picture of the Zebco 33. It says limited edition Zebco 33. And then a guy just absolutely yakking on one with a Zebco 33. <laughs> Rod's bent over. That's the top half of the belt buckle. Uh, Jeff says soak them in liquid starch. Press with a crease in the center. You'll get five to seven wears out of a, a pair. And you could also and dry clean it. And then you got to do it all over again? No, you could have them dry cleaned, I believe. I think you could have them starched at the dry cleaners which is probably the way to go. Cause if you have your, if your uh, creases are all wonky. Well, that, yeah, that's actually, now that you say that when I, when I was working in the corporate world, I would have my shirts uh, dry cleaned. And then they'd, they'd always ask you like, if I wanted them starched and I'd be like, no, yes. I don't want. So next yeah. time just say this pair heavy starch. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. You, you're worried about starch jeans and you were going to wear tush across the buddy or tournament shorts in a, in an yeah. event. I still have those pants. I'll probably whip them out this year. It's the, the tush logo on the, put it on my butt cheeks. Yep. All right. We're going down a rabbit hole. Now that really sparked some interest. Which, uh, which the start, just everything from oh. the hog jowls to the starching to the, just it's been an interesting show pete wants to know if you plan on coming out with a one half tush because i really want some probably have to use tungsten to keep it small uh we're coming out with a half ounce seven ounce tush and we're exploring some other options with respect to tungsten i don't know if it'll happen anytime soon but we're definitely looking at some new sizes Oh, I'm going to be talking to Jeff after the show. He said he's got a buckle company. It sounds like that. Let's get some BTL oh, yeah. buckle for the gala. You think you could get a Matt Stefan buckle? Oh, like a core tackle buckle? That would be savage. That would or be Matt awesome. Stefan, And then a BTL buckle. I mean, the classic is on grand in March. Uh, yeah, I like, I like that idea. Look, Jeff, he's... Yeah, he wants to know, can you make a champion belt, boats belt buckle? <laughs> uh, all right, what else you got? How many how many buckles do you have? 
uh, two. I have one that says Alaska and then the Zebco 33. I'm not a, a Western wear guy. I, I just, I wear pretty much the same thing. Like what you see me every day on the show is what I wear in everyday How, life. Do you think you're going to whip out the, uh, cowboy hat more or is that like a one-time deal? Uh, I mean, in all honesty, it's not, that's not, it's not me. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I did it. I wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't change it, but it's, it'll be definitely just a special occasions deal. Like I said, I went 39 years without one. I bought, I bought one this summer uh, to wear, but I don't know. I just feel like if you consistently wear a cowboy hat, you're expected to do cowboy shit. And if you don't know how to do cowboy stuff, like what if I was walking and someone was like, Oh, that cow got loose, get him!" And then I would have to be like, yeah, it's outside my skill set, even though I'm dressed like I, I know how to do things like that. Yeah, Joe, Joey, Cifuen Joey C. Fuentes was at the uh, Berkeley event with yeah. us, and he had his cowboy hat on the whole time. And I, I mean, I, I have to imagine he gets pretty sick of all of us asking about like how the cattle are doing. Yeah, like exactly. I mean, I got it. I got into some really good discussions with him regarding like how he goes about making sure that you know he's going to have a a good. <laughs> a good crop of of uh calves in this year and how he goes about making sure that they're all properly uh impregnated and all this it was very entertaining and i mean he he deserves to wear that cowboy yeah, hat and, for what he does for me i kind of feel like when i if i wore it like i said i wore it this one time i felt good at it i'm glad i did it it was kind of a special event right yeah. but it's kind of like the guy who shows up to the BFL as a co-angler with 95 sponsors on the jersey. <laughs> was the cowboy I get hat that, your... I get that same vibe. So was the cowboy hat your idea though? No, you just wear cowboy hats to this. Like I said, like you Fort Worth stock show and rodeo in Fort Worth, Texas in January. Like, no, I just fit in like the other people at the Capitol. It was just one of those things. Like if you're ever going to wear one, this is the time to wear it. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I don't. I don't have one. I don't know that I pull it off that well. But I do. I think I could. Like, if I did the pants and everything, I think I could feel just fine wearing it. You have to make have... sure you get it fitted. You have to make sure it fits your head. That it's the right size. That it's either a straw or a felt based on the season. Like, there's all sorts of little nuances. Just like the, you know, you've got like the flat brimmers and the guys who curve yeah. them. Yeah. I call that to Fletcher Shryock to Chad Morgenthaler scale. <laughs> like the curve of your hat. Yeah. Th those are your two extremes. Yeah. Most people fall somewhere in there. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, on that note, I think I need to queue up some music and we need to, uh, we need to end this. I appreciate it. It's great to have you back on BTL. Where can we look for? You got anything to tease? It's coming out. Are you doing the, uh, you doing everything on, on tour again, recording all the days, have the daily videos, won't miss a day during the season, the whole nine yards. Yeah, we're, we're shooting for everything. We are, uh, we being core tackle, we sh we're going to have a booth. Well, actually, we just found out today at the classic. So we did get that. So we will be there for that. We have one at Red Crest. So if people are in those areas, they should stop by and say hi. Other than that, everything is kind of status quo. Should I? You said so. You are going to be at the classic. Yep. Should I book a? Should I book a nice reservation in a steakhouse? I mean, I think that could be fun. It it'll be it'll be my. You're going to laugh at me. It'll be my first classic. 
Really? You're going to go yeah. with the uh, iCast uniform at the Classic? Or are you going to switch it up? <laughs> the iCast uniform? Yeah. You're referring to the uh, black pants? The, uh, I thought they were Lululemons. Yeah, well, I had Lululemon pants on. And you gave me you gave me crap for it. And you said uh, that all experienced iCasters wear Lululemon pants tucked in because they're they're functional yep, the and comfortable yeah. yet classy. That is a fact. And I'm getting crap for a hat, and you choose to wear Lululemons. I think I think honestly, I think if you wore those pants, you would be pretty excited about it. You'd you'd recognize how much movement you could you could do it if you needed to like bend down and get something from underneath one of the boots oh, I, no i don't low. i don't i don't agree with that because yeah. i've been doing my homework and watching some of your past videos and you've been having some issues getting down low with the net <laughs> <laughs> i feel like they've been restricted your motion you've been draw like the videos i've watched you dropped the net in the water <laughs> you, you then had to to crawl around on your belly to land the fish because you could have bent down further enough and then the net was like behind the boat you had to go fish the net off of the bottom you were watching my okeechobee event doing some study some homework and i have a like that was the first one of the year and i was using it was somebody else's net because i forgot my net a low crouch was was not in their game like 100 pounds a low crouch was not in your game plan that day with those lululemons no well i i don't think i was wearing lululemons that day Oh, well, that might have explained it. You're probably wearing some some starched cargos. Yeah, it was starched. I couldn't move around. <laughs> I couldn't move. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, on that note, if I don't see you on the way down, I'll see you at the Bassmaster Classic. Always yeah. a good time. Uh, dude, you have a legion of fans that you have gained uh, not only over your time on the FLW Tour, but especially recently uh, with what you've done social media wise and on the invitational so enjoy it good luck uh you're gonna have a lot of people watching you in a good way supporting you uh down there in texas and louisiana here in a couple weeks well i i appreciate all the support from everyone out there watching maddie thanks for having me on again and uh let's keep it rolling let's get 2024 off on a good note Sounds good. All right. This has been another edition of BTL. Tomorrow, day four, with the man, Frank Scalish. Well, we're not going to end the show with yours here. Let me uh, get back here, do this, switch it. We'll talk to everyone tomorrow. Frank Scalish, BTL. Later.